Welcome to our podcast, The Baseball Doesn't Fall Far From the Tree. Our guest for this episode is Al Santorini. Al pitched six seasons in the major leagues for the Atlanta Braves, the San Diego Padres, and the St. Louis Cardinals. He was selected in the first round of the 1966 amateur baseball draft by the Atlanta Braves, 11th overall. Al was 35-1 at Union High School in New Jersey with over 500 strikeouts. His earned run average was under one. His high school teammate was future major leaguer Elliot Maddox. He gave up a home run to Willie McCovey during his debut, but never gave up another hit to Willie the rest of his career. He was also a roommate with Joe Torrey, and Satchel Paige was his coach in Atlanta. Um, Al, before we get uh, get into your professional career, I wanted to, to uh, talk about your high school career because you had such an active athletic uh, experience in high school. And uh, I know you and I had talked about it before, but for the benefit of our listeners, I thought that would be pretty cool. Um, so I guess... What I'd like to start, you, you bowled, you played football, I believe you were a quarterback, and you also played baseball. Um, when did, when did you actually start playing baseball? Like, how old were you bef- before high school that, you know? I, I joined, uh, my brother played baseball and, at the Union Little League, and I think that started back in like 19, uh, uh, 54, 55 or something like that. I think 50, 53 or so. And, um, you know, I followed him and I was only like five years old at the time. But, you know, uh, we played baseball together. He was four years older than I. And, um, when it was taught you could join the little league at age eight. And so I was on my brother's team at age eight. Yeah. Um, and- I didn't play all that much because we had from eight years old to 12 year old kids and, uh, you know, eight year olds, a little bit young to play with 12s. Okay. So I guess your brother, <clears throat> your brother is who you, uh, I mean, he got you, got you started with baseball. I mean, he showed you how to play. I mean, was he like <clears throat> your baseball influence, I guess? Well, and yeah, it, I mean, we played together all the time, and he took me to play with uh, all his friends um, for many years. I, I I really only played with kids a lot of times football and baseball and all those sports with kids that were like four years older than me. But I always played, and um, you know, they I guess he showed me how to throw, and I was able to. It was really funny that at age uh, I don't know. Five or six years old, I was able to uh, throw the ball like sixty feet, and which is the the distance of the mound away, sixty feet six inches. And it, it, our property, I think, was sixty feet wide, and I could throw from one side to the other. And but my brother was good. He was smart. He was um, he knew what to do, and uh, he was a very good athlete. And um, it, you know, you you just kind of pick it up from them. You know, playing stickball, playing wiffle ball. I mean, we had baseball. You know, we didn't have the video games to play. And we just kept on uh, 
playing those type of things and he always wanted to practice catching so me being a pitcher was was good and he also had me stand like at the in the middle of the street and we would march off someplace where from home plate to second base and he would practice his throws down to second base with me catching it you know as a young kid and uh you know, that wasn't very easy to do. And you know, you, br- you bring up a good point, Al, what, what you had said earlier. And it's funny, last Sunday at my uh, church service, our, uh, our minister was saying that, you know, he has his, his kids always playing with, uh, or, you know, when, when they can play with older kids, more experienced kids, because that's the way you can get, you know, you get better. So I guess, you know, right. you feel that, feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Whenever we played baseball or football, I was always, you know, batting against them. And uh, in the football, when he played tackle football with his buddies that were 12, 13, 14 years old, maybe even older, he put me right in the middle of the line and, um, you know, in the middle of it. And he would, you know, kind of uh, he didn't like it when I didn't make a, be- a good effort at tackling somebody. And these guys would be running over me and everything else and uh you know he he kind of taught by uh intimidation you know <laughs> you know right. like you better do this or else and right. uh you know, so many times i t- i felt uh chalk in my teeth if you ever <laughs> did that you know tried to grab somebody or you know pull your uh your teeth would scrape on your other teeth and it tastes like chalk yeah but many times i felt that we didn't have any mouth guards or anything like that right right i wonder how we survived all that yeah now um the one one of the things and i know we had talked about it before that i i found interesting was your uh your um your bowling in high school i mean you had the you know from what i read you had the second highest bowling average on your high school championship team and uh and uh you would we had talked about it before. You never had a 300 game, I believe you said, but you had a couple 700 series. Yeah, I, you know, I bowled. I didn't bowl 300 in the league, but right. I, I, um, I think it was 14 strikes in a row one night. Oh wow! Oh, um, you know, bowling. I, uh, I, I shot 270 something, and um, but I did bowl 300 in practice. Yeah. Uh, I was proud of, you know. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a tough game. It's another game that you have to repeat, repeat, repeat over and over again, just like a pitching motion or a right. uh, batting type of motion, hitting the ball. It's a repeat over and over. And I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, you know what I always had? A pro- I had a backup ball. I didn't have a very good – I tried to throw a, you know, like a, a curve or whatever – uh, you know, with it, but I had a backup ball, so I had to always compensate, you know, you know, for that. It was sort of like, um, I guess to, uh, use a pitching analogy, like sort of like a screwball, you know, how it kind of like, you know, comes in and oh, stuff. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know, maybe a weak wrist or, uh, uh, I have no idea, but, uh, you know the backup ball. You know, I guess if you get consistent with it, you can do anything. Yeah, I had to, yeah because um, I actually when I worked at AT and T, I I bowled in a, a league there, and uh, actually that's how I met my my wife and stuff. But um, 
like you said, compensating. I was able to get a couple 200 games, but I imagine if I could have, uh, you know, been able to get the ball to break and hit the pocket uh, the other way, I probably would have been better. But, you know, I was I was out there basically for, you know, uh, recreation and, you know, so. Uh, the, uh, I actually was bowling uh, a couple of years back when I was living down in South Carolina, down by Clemson. And um, it's actually easier to bowl now than it is was uh, way back when. You know, the, the balls they have now, it's almost like cheating. Right. Before we used, before we used to bowl with a, you know, an all-rubber ball. Uh, at one time, it, people used two fingers, not three fingers. Right. And, uh, you know, now they have urethane and plastic and urethane, plastic, and, you know, all these different types of uh, uh, resin-based balls, and they have weights in the balls, and you can, you can drill them a certain way where you couldn't kick them down and not hook. Yeah. So, you know, the ball goes down and has a certain weight. It'll hook for you, and you don't really have to do much of anything with it. And when you do get coordinated enough to use your wrist and your fingers to at the release, um, you can really hook it and make a powerful ball. Yeah. Now, it's easier. I would, I was probably averaging um, 200, over 200 down in South Carolina, where when I was a young kid, you know, I was at 180. 587 things like that but um now it's easier it's just really easier to bowl yeah, yeah. hey you know what i was going to ask you with uh, back to baseball and everything when what age was it you realized you could throw harder than the other kids because i imagine uh well i know you could throw hard so i imagine uh you know there was a point where you uh um was you know you had a you were special you know con, you know considering uh you know the kids you were playing against when did you you think that you uh found that out well i thought that um at age nine one year um i, I always pitched all the time from you know i was able to throw the ball uh, as a pitcher the motion was real fast and quick and kind of ugly looking but right. i could always throw hard even from a young age and in, in little league one year they ran out of pitchers on our team and um all of a sudden they brought me in the pitch as a nine-year-old against the team i think it was the cubs and they you know all the 12 year old kids thought that they were gonna you know beat me up out there right. and everything else they can't wait to get a hold of it and i ended up um striking out one or two of them but i could always throw a curveball too okay. at, at a early and, um, you know, I threw the curveball and I threw fastballs, you know, and, you know, this struck some kids out at age nine. And I just continued to throw, but I always threw the ball hard. I had that gift of throwing the ball hard and I had a gift of being able to, uh, throw, you know, throw a, uh, a curveball that really broke the right way. Right. So you put those together. The, 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 what he, the motion was too quick kind of ugly looking and then i somebody got a hold of me uh, that my father knew and we uh, it got a better load up spot to load up with my leg arm leg up and my arm down and stuff like that and uh, as a as a sophomore in high school and 
then I was able to throw the ball over the plate very, you know, more consistently. And um, that's when things really took off uh, as a sophomore. I mean, I never lost a game in junior high school. I was 15-0 and 0 wow. in junior high school, 7th, 8th, uh, and ninth grader. And I actually pitched a no-hitter as a 7th grader when I was, what, 13 years old or something against a bunch of, ninth, you know, ninth graders. And... Um, you know, it, it was just something that you have and something that you enjoy to do. And, I, you know, you, you just go ahead and go for it. And uh, I practiced. You know, you got to practice and you got to uh, learn and figure it out yourself. you got to dig it out of the dirt sometimes by yourself. And doing all that with a couple of tips from my brother, from this, the other coach I had, and, you know, things really got accelerated and uh, it always felt pretty good to you know, pound somebody else because I was always getting pounded by my brother all the time, getting beat up with uh, him hitting the ball, him hitting the ball. But it was more fun when uh, I had that control right. out there, and I, I really liked uh, the one-on-one experience with the batter and me to see who's better. Now you didn't. You said you didn't lose a game in uh, in junior high school. I mean, you were thirty-five and one in in. Uh in in actual high school i mean uh yeah i mean you've yeah. you probably only lost one game in about 6 or 7 years i guess right yeah wow absolutely yeah yep um i don't know just you know we we had a good we had some good teams and we had teams that scored some runs and um you know i i pitched some good games and got the ball over the plate and gave us a chance to win and uh you know, that's what kind of happens. Uh, you know, there could have been some games I could have lost, right. but uh, we scored enough, you know, we, we scored enough runs. Uh, you know, you got to be a little bit lucky, but, uh, you know, you also got to have that desire and that discipline to really want to want to win and uh, do the best for your team. Well, yeah, I see. I mean... You say lucky and and scoring like that, but you had like 500 strikeouts and and your ERA was like under one, so you didn't give up, you know, many runs at all during uh, high school. Yeah, I you know I think you know my sophomore year I think it was like one and a half or something like that, and uh, the earned run average. But I you know I gave up a few. Uh, in one game, it would have been probably lower than that, but we played a game. Uh, against Montclair, and I gave up a few, uh, and that raised it up. And then the second year, I think it was like 0.5 or something like that, wow. like a half a run. And then my my senior year, I gave up, uh, you know, I had three-yard runs in 107 innings. So, you know, it came out to like less than point, uh, a quarter of, what, 20, uh, point 20. I guess it was, or less than that. But up until the last game of the season, I gave up two earned runs in roughly like 100 innings. And, uh, you know, then the last game I gave up a run. And, uh, you know, luckily uh, we scored a few and we, you know, we we won that game. But, uh, you know, you really, you know, you really got to be focused and, you were in good, I was in good shape. I ran all the time. I did sprints the day after I pitched, uh, of like 35 sprints from, uh, the right field line to the center, into the center field. The next day I did maybe 
25 sprints, uh, you know, that distance. And the third day I did maybe 20. And the fourth day I did 12 or so. And, you know, and I threw on the side a little bit. So, you know, I did exercises to be strong and that I could, um, you know, a game I started, I, I finished. I think I may have. I may have completed about thirty-seven or thirty-eight games that I that I pitched in. I I never really was taken out for a pinch of uh, another pitcher. Maybe sitting on the bench that I was taken out, but uh, I don't think I ever really got kicked out. Got out of the game by the manager having to come out. It's, it sounds like you subscribe to the um, the idea that you pitch with your legs, right? You know how like. I mean, when I was playing, you know, in high school, I mean, that's what they told us that, you know, you know, you pitch with your legs. So, you know, that's why that's why we run and and work on it. I don't know if that's the same concept that they they look at, you know, now. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, endurance, uh, you know, with your you know cardiac being strong with your heart and your legs and all that. And, um, you know. You know, talking about using your legs, you know, you really got to be shown how to do those type of things. You know, how to load up to make a pitch and how to keep your shoulders in long enough when you step forward that you're not uh, taking your core, which is your, you know, basically your waist and your, your, your lower half of your body. And you can't be opening that up too soon before you throw and, uh, Otherwise, you're gonna not gonna have the core to really throw the ball hard. So you really need to be able to, you know, the load up, come through, push off, keep your shoulders in, not opening your shoulders too quick, and uh, getting your foot down a certain way, and uh, your toes should be, actually be a little bit closed when you land, um, like three degrees or so. And then you know, when you land, you should land and stay through the ball longer out to the catcher and throw the ball out further as far as you can out in front of you to really get the arm motion and the speed you know and you also got to use your legs you know and you know get your legs your bottom half of your body and your top half of, of your body all in sync together to be able to throw the ball the right way uh, I mean, you know sometimes you know rhythm and timing is uh, is the hardest things to, to learn in uh, in this game and also you know to develop a repeating motion that doesn't break down under pressure of the situation that you know you can get up in the morning on Sunday morning and you can throw that way on Sunday morning uh, without even thinking about it. I could close my eyes and I can picture it right now on how I should be, where I should land uh, with my foot and, you know, things like that. You know, I don't, you know, I, I put down the line for the kids when I'm teaching them how to pitch a little bit and the line kind of points right at home plate. And a lot of the kids are going to be to the left of that line, okay, and, you know, that's going to mean their shoulders are going to pull out, their arms going to follow their shoulder pulling out, and they're going to be wild, maybe left. And, you know, I said, you got to land right on the line. And, you know, and I'll, I'll get up on the, on the mound and I'll not even look down at it. Okay. I know I got my foot lined up where, where my leg is as I load up, but when I hit the ground, my foot's going to be on that line because I've done it so many times. I don't even have to look. And, uh, that's, that's where I want you to get 
So, you know, get get the foot down and get your chest out over your knee, and you'll be, you know, and throw get the ball out in front. And when you throw the ball out in front, you're going to get better spin on the ball, and you're going to get later movement on the ball. And if you could release it from the same spot all the time, whether you throw curveballs, uh, fastballs, changeups. You know, you start from that position, but, you know, the ball is going to go in different directions. And that kind of messes up the batter because it's coming out of the same slot, but it's doing different things. Right. No, I totally agree with that. You know, you follow all that? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Well, like I said, I pitched in high school and uh, I coached uh, youth baseball uh, with kids up to 14 years old. Uh, and, uh, you know, I like to work with the, uh, the pitchers, but like you said, with getting, um, well, their shoulders not coming out, you know, and, and arm extension and like, you know, uh, I guess like replicating the, the, um, the, you know, consistently of, you know, replicating each pitch, you know, I, yeah. no, I totally agree with that. I mean, uh, yeah. When you, when you see the guys in the big leagues pitching and it's a very tense situation and the whole stadium standing up, sometimes you can't even hear yourself think, I know, on the mound. And actually you, your body almost feels like you can't hear or feel when your foot is landing, uh, you know, to order to you know, release the ball. That sometimes that could get to the pitcher. And, you know, that he can be wild in that situation. You know, I, I pitched in a game against the Cincinnati Reds and I had like a, a, a no hitter for six and two thirds innings or something like that. And it was bat day over in Cincinnati, over in Crosley Field. And the people were, you know, it was a metal bleachers of the, of the stands and, and they were beating the bat on the, you know, to like a, a, a drum beat beat and bang bang and it was so loud you couldn't even hear yourself think and it got to be tough with your body you know getting your body to perform the way it was because you know it goes by a lot of feel too right. feel and touch for the ball and i you know and thank god i was able to throw strikes in that situation and um you know i gave up a hit but it was still um you know it's tough to repeat you know, people don't understand. There's a lot of stuff. You know, the the loudness and the, the excitement of the whole thing, and uh, to be able to throw strikes and keep your concentration, you know, is a big thing. And I was able to do pretty well. And you know, I was only 20 years old, uh, pitching in the big leagues. But uh, you know, I, I I I could always throw very well. Yeah. And, you know, I I just thought I belonged there anyway. So. You know, and didn't make any difference what the age was. You know, still well, be against the bat. How much time, do I, you know, without going back to um, baseball reference, uh, how how long did you pitch in the minors before you went up? It couldn't have been, what, less than two years since well, you were twelve. When I was when I got out of high school, yeah, I was the the number one draft pick of the Braves. Right. Uh, I believe I believe it was the eleventh pick in the country. Yep. That, that was the was the first year of the draft and um you know i pitched you know and, and they normally send people down to rookie league or uh uh a ball or low a and then high a and then you get into double a 
It may take you three or four years to get into double A at that time. And, you know, they sent me right to Austin, Texas in double A. Um, and I ended up uh, pitching a no-hitter the third, uh, the third game I pitched. I pitched a no-hitter uh, in the Texas League. Um, I, and uh, I think the earned run average that year in, in, the, in 50 innings in the Texas League was something like one point four nine or five nine and I had one strikeout per inning uh, in the Texas League as a as basically as a eighteen year old kid. Uh, wow. You know, pitching against these guys that, you know, were playing baseball for six, seven, eight years. You had a lot of older guys in double A at that yeah. time. Um, Do you remember was there anybody uh, like ex major leaguer that was down at double A then that you could recall? In, in, I played for Austin, Texas, right? Right. And our manager was Hub Kittle. Okay. A, a really, a, quite a character type of a man. But on my team was Bobby Cox. Oh. On, oh he played, he was 25, 26 years old, um, playing, he played second base. Uh, you know, the manager of the Atlanta Braves, he was with Toronto and, you know, with the Yankee, played for the Yankees in the big leagues. The shortstop was a guy by the name of Walt Reniak. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Walt Reniak was a, is a, a kind of a hitting guru. Yep. Um, uh, you know, in the major leagues with the Chicago White Sox, the Boston Red Sox, and things like that. And Walter also played for the Padres with me. And, you know, in our center fielder, was a guy by the name of Clarence Gaston, who happens to be named Cito, who was the first or black manager to ever win uh, the World Series, and he did that twice with Toronto. So, you know, we had some good good guys. We had Ron Reed, who pitched also. He was a basketball player for right. Detroit. Um, you know, we, we had a pretty good team. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> and, you know, in other you know, other triple a double a teams had a lot of guys that at one time was playing in the major leagues that got sent down or guys that were on their way up you know good prospects so it was a very good league you know we had uh from austin texas to uh amarillo to el paso to uh, albuquerque to little rock and all those type of uh towns that we played in uh and you know it was long bus rides yeah Oh, and that's a big state. I mean, I can imagine the bus rides. If, uh, oh, yeah. We yeah. played in Dallas Fort. Yeah. Uh, the old stadium there. Yeah. Dallas Fort. Yep. Yeah. You know, all up. But, uh, you know, it was a good league. Yeah. And a lot of experienced, experienced guys that yeah. played. Hey, you know what? I was going to ask you before, and it was your, your high school coach. You played for Gordon Lamatty, who, who, how do you pronounce that again? Excuse me? Uh, Gordon Lamatty, is it? Yeah, Gordon Lamatty. Yeah. yeah. And Gordon, the coach there for maybe, I don't know, 30 years or so, something yeah. like that. Uh, Gordy had, when he, the time he retired, he had the most wins ever by a high school coach. Yeah. 647, I think he had. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, he's kind of like legendary in Union and, and as a as coaches and uh, in high school baseball, a lot of people still remember Gordon. Yeah. Well, he considered you the best pitcher he ever had, I read. He must have uh, had a good relationship with him. 
Well, I don't know if there was a better picture. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, when you win 35 games, you better... Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's tough to, it's tough to top that record, right? Huh. We had, we had some very good pitchers at Union, and we had maybe three or four guys that, you know, signed to play baseball. Um, you know, Stanley Jakubowski okay. uh, was another, he had a tremendous record at Union High School. You know, played, you know, played in the Pittsburgh chain. We had Bobby Castigo. Played with uh, Minnesota, and you know we were always blessed with a lot of good baseball arms in Union. And um, you know, pitching's the name of the game. You know, you get guys who could throw the ball, throw the ball over the plate. You know, you can win some games. When right. if you know if you were to build a baseball team, I would start with pitching, and I'd probably do with uh, maybe even defense secondly, and then you know you do hitting last because everybody's supposed to hit. You know, yeah. when they, but when they get up there, but you need defense and you need pitching to really start off with. Well, you had a pretty good defensive player playing in the outfield for your high school team, right? Playing the outfield? Yeah. Well, we, if you're talking about Elliot Maddox, yeah. Um, Elliot was a, it was an infielder. Oh, he was an infielder in high school. Okay. When he, well, yeah. But Elliot could play anywhere, man. El, Elliot was one of the, best athletes that I've ever seen come out of high school uh, and especially Union Okay, yeah. but uh, he was a tremendous uh, uh, baseball player, basketball player um, you know, they needed a, a soccer goalie and he was able to be a goalie, may, may have be even been a all-county goalie oh, really? it. Wow um, and he was tremendous and Elliot came up as a third baseman and uh, he came up as a third baseman, and he was at a great third baseman, great third baseman. And we had a kid by the name of Jeff Cohen who played shortstop, and Cohen was tremendous uh, as a shortstop. And he could run, and he could hit. He went down the line in under under four seconds, you know, 3-8 or something like that. Wow. And Cohen pulled 68 bases in a row in high school and never got thrown out. That's how he could play. And then Elliot... You know, he looked a lot like Hank Aaron, whether it be swinging the bat or, you know, catching fly balls. And, you know, don't forget, Elliot played 12 years in the big leagues, and he and he played for the Mets, the Yankees, Detroit, Washington, you know, all those teams. And, you know, he batted 312 one year for the Yankees playing, I think, center field right. that year. So Elliot could really do it, yeah. really do it. Living down in Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay area right now. Okay. Now, you got a chance to see uh, Hank Aaron up close. Uh, what were your thoughts about him? You know, well, you mentioned Aaron, him. When I, was, when I was first signed, the Braves told me that uh, I could pitch against the AAA team for the big league team in Richmond, Virginia, when they had an exhibition game. That was in the middle of the season. So I was able to pitch in that game and... Um, you know, my catcher was Joe Torrey. Oh, wow. The third baseman was Eddie Matthews. You know, we had guys like uh, Dennis Minky, Woody Woodward, uh, Al, uh, by the name of Oliver. Uh, Hank Aaron played in right field. Rico Cardi was in left, and a guy by the name of Mac Jones played in center field. So, it was, you know, it was a very good team. And 
I, I played, and then, you know, basically after the game, you know, I got on the bus, and, you know, I looked around. I was late getting on the bus, and I looked on the bus. I was looking for a seat, and the only seat available was by a guy by the name of Hank Aaron. Wow. You know, I let the superstars and all those guys have a whole seat to themselves, you know. But I had to sit next to Hank, and um, I had a conversation with him about what pitch he likes. Do you think he'll hit 700 home runs? Do you think he'll hit 500? You know, what type of pitch do you like to hit? And things like that. And we talked a little bit about Roberto Clemente and, you know, how Roberto Clemente could hit for average and stuff like that. But what I remember the most is that he had a good chance of hitting all the home runs and beating Ruth, number one, which he did. And he also said that if he wanted to, Okay. I mean, he could steal 40 bases in a year if he wanted to. That's, he could have been 40 40 club a lot of times over. But he said, he told me that if he wanted to, that he could hit 350 every year. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Especially now. But, you know, I believe him. I really do. He yeah. had control of the bat. Uh, and he could hit the ball where he wanted to hit the ball. And just the tremendous, you know, he batted cross-handed. I was going to say the thing I remember about him was his wrist and how he had, like you said, cross-handed. And I mean, yeah. uh, learned to have his uh, his top hand to be the right hand yeah. on the bat, not not vice versa. Yeah, but he was, you know, but he's a truly a gentleman. Yeah, and, you know, I just that. Um, uh, I got a picture of him with Lenny Coleman. Lenny Coleman is the, the ex-commissioner of, uh, I think, the National League Baseball. Right. Lenny and he always good friends. And Lenny uh, would stop, have Christmas with Hank um, in Florida. And he, he would send me pictures of with Hank and his uh, wife, Rachel. And they'd also have Jackie Robinson's uh, wife um, and daughter and uh, Lenny. Was always in that picture with his with his son, and uh, you know I still have that picture. You know I kind of cherish it. That, yeah. You know Hank Aaron in the picture that I have, but maybe nobody else has either. Yeah, so, no, probably. Yeah. You know you got a one of a kind going on there. Hey, you know what I wanted to ask you? We we established before that you were a first round pick in eleventh overall, and and that was the first that that was the the first draft of. Uh, the amateur baseball draft, 1966, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the First one. Year. What Rick Mundy, I think, was the number one. Uh, I think Reggie Jackson was number three. Right. I think right. maybe Rick. I mean, they. They. I think Reggie Jackson. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think the Mets passed on Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Uh, Oh, number one was a guy by the name of Steve Chilcott. Oh, okay. He was the first number one, Steve Chilcott, and he was from Glendale, California. Right. And the same town that Casey Stengel came from. And all along, the Mets were, you know, either thinking about drafting me first because of being in, from New Jersey, and it would have been good. And and when Casey Stengel went to Steve Chilcott's game, Chilcott hits three home runs and a double. Oh wow! And and in the back of the Daily News, it says in big print, must have been five inches tall. He says Casey says Casey says Chilcott the greatest. <laughs> okay, and they got kind of 
you know, if Casey Stengel said it, I guess we got to draft them, you know. So that's how, you know, I went later yeah. in the draft. <laughs> hey, you know, um, well, yeah. I know I had spoke to other people um, that were like first round draft choices. And back then, I mean, you, you didn't ha you know how now, like with the uh, it's a big um, media show, right? You know, where. They have it on ESPN and, and all that going on. Um, in 66, how did you find out that you were a number one? I mean, they didn't have something like that, right? Where they had like. No. Oh, no, no, no. They, 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 ne they never really even publicized it that much. Yeah. But I, I was walking down the hallway in school. I got out of a class and I think I was walking past around the principal's office and, you know, somebody told me that I got drafted by the Atlanta Braves. Oh, really? <laughs> That's how I got notified. Yeah. So you didn't have to tune into ESPN and all that stuff, right? It was uh, no. it was a different thing back then. Um, well, I really, I really thought that I was going to be a first round pick, though. Well, I mean, with that high school career you had, you, you'd almost uh, it would have been criminal if you weren't. I mean, I mean that. Well, yeah, there's a lot of great talent in the United States, and yeah. you know, more so was you know 50 years ago or 55 years ago right um, you know but there's a lot of great talent and most of the time you need to have a good coach uh to help you because nobody does it by themselves and right. if you get a good coach and you have that type of an ability that you want to be good and you have a pra you have a great practice uh you know practicing all the time wanting to practice loving to practice uh in which i did and uh you know, you gotta practice it, but practice the right things. And I was lucky enough to have people that taught me the right things. Cause if they ever taught me the wrong things, you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you, right. uh, talking about a career. Right. Uh, without, right. without help. And that's why I still coach kids, teach kids proper mechanics because I, I go to these different facilities and sometimes I see something that's completely wrong on what's going on and you know and the, the kid could be better you know if he would do this and this but you know you can't help everybody but you know it's important to have somebody with great talent you know have really good uh somebody teaching him the proper mechanics on what you have to do you know but you also have to be focused and you have to have you know a real a little bit of aggressiveness in your body in order to pitch and really loving the one-on-one -on -one, uh with the hitter that right. is me and him out there right you know i um i was I, oh let me hold on a second i have to uh get this phone See, I thought it was my phone doing. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, I don't know if someone got that, but, but what I was reading was that, um, during your, uh, the first game that you pitched with the Atlanta Braves, you faced Willie McCovey and Willie had got a home run off you, but then again, he never got another hit off of you. What was your magic? I mean, <laughs> you must have had some kind of potion there, right? I think I was a little nervous and, uh, a little bit overthrowing the ball a little bit. I got in trouble in the first inning and, uh, you know, I guess I put one over the plate really where he could handle it and he hit it out. And, um, 
I kind of remembered that forever and always. And, and I remember that. I think he batted uh, oh, one for 19 or something. Yeah. I don't know. It was like oh, oh, 054 or I don't know. But it was something like that. But, you know, he hit a couple balls pretty good. But, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of times it was hit at somebody one time. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, when you see a ball hit, uh, it, under the lights, it's kind of strange. And uh, I remember that he hit, uh, some, you know, a line drive, basically the same type of line drive he hit for the, I think the final out of the World Series with the Yankees and the uh, Giants. Oh, 1962. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he hit a ball like that to my second baseman. I don't think it was hit that hard. But what was strange is that when you really see a ball come back at you a lot of times, the ball looks like a big balloon, you know, and then it gets kind of smaller. But when he hit that ball, you know, uh, to second base, it, it, it was strange that the, the light on the ball, it seemed like it was a, uh, a comet or something, you know, the, the tail, it looked like a long tail following the ball of light. Well, it was probably traveling as fast as a comet coming off of uh, McCovey's bat, right? Well, I don't know about yeah. that. But, yeah. it was, but, he would, was, uh, but that's what it kind of looked like. It, yeah. You know, you kind of look up and you watch it and you follow it. And, you know, it, it was kind of something probably in my eyes. But, you know, it was just kind of a strange feeling. And when he hit that, I remember that hit that he had uh in, against the giant, uh, Yankees that one right. time, and it was almost like reliving that that ball yeah. uh, that hit to him. Now I was as happy it wasn't hit back at me. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, I also read that when you were with the Braves, um, there was a coach uh, on that team that was quite a pitcher, uh, Satchel Paige. Did you have a, any opportunity to talk with him? Or well, you know, Satchel Satchel Paige. In 1968, the Braves uh, brought up Satchel Paige. Now, Satchel was 60 yeah. or 65 old or something at that time. But Satchel Paige, when he, I guess he pitched with Cleveland, and uh, he was about 90 days short of a big league pension. And, you know, and you had to have, uh, I guess it was five years at that time. Right. And, you know, and he was 90 days short. And, you know, he could use the money, he could use all that kind of stuff, and I guess nobody else really thought about doing it, but the Braves put him on the roster, and, you know, he was there for 90 days with us, you know, on the Brave roster, and I got brought up with Ralph Gar, and Ralph Gar and he would be uh, drawn back and forth. He, you know, Ralph and him were very much alike, but funny, yeah. you know, and on the on the buses in the locker room, kind of busting each other back and forth, just having a good old time. And, uh, and, and Satchel was, Satchel was a, a nice guy, a great guy. And, um, you know, we also had a guy by the name of Bob Euchre. Oh, Bob Euchre, right. <laughs> Bob Euchre was there. And Bob was a practical joker too. And at times Bob Euchre would, uh, we had a, we had phones in the locker room and he'd call on, on, on a phone and say that it was, you know, uh, it was a hotel for, you know, that we were staying at and, um, in Atlanta. Okay. And he would tell Satchel that, you know, you didn't pay your bill and we're going to throw all your clothes out of the, out of the room, <laughs> you know, and, and, and old Satchel, you know, he kind of fell for it. 
and you know, all of a sudden you see Satchel getting dressed, and he's got to go. He's you know going to throw all my clothes out there. And Euchre was playing the game with them, and uh, Euchre was a funny guy, you know. We, uh, you know, you know, we, we and when when the Nakahoma used to run out to the uh, to the tent, they had that uh, Indian that ran out by the tent. He his, his name was Nakahoma, right. and. It, in our dugout, whenever Nakahoma ran out from the first base dugout, we were in the third base dugout, you know, about three or four guys would be throwing the baseball at, uh, you know, at, at Nakahoma trying to hit him with, you know, with the ball. And, uh, Euchre was doing some announcing at that time and, uh, he'd get on the phone and call over and tell him that, you know, cut, cut it out, cut it out. He says, things are a little bit bad in my house, and my wife is Nakahoma, and I don't want you hitting her with the ball. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know but you know, he's quite a card. I used to play pool with him every night um, at the, at the uh, hotel in West Palm Beach in spring training. We would meet down in the, in the pool room, and we'd shoot pool. And, you know, we had a lot of fun together. Oh, that's, a, that's quite an experience. I mean, you know, I mean... I think I think Bob Bob Euchre eventually got in the Hall of Fame for his uh, broadcasting. I know he didn't get in it for his playing, but you know, I think he he's still up in uh, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, the, that's what I yeah. that's what I've read and everything. Yeah. Oh hey, yeah, yeah. Well, after after the oh yeah, you know what I wanted to ask you is like um, the Braves did, they left you unprotected for the expansion draft. What was that all about? I mean, well, they, what, yeah, what happened was um, the year before I had my arm operated on for bone spurs and burned bone chips in my elbow. So, I, uh, you know, I pitched in 66. My first year, 67, I was in the Air Force and I got out of the Air Force in April uh, doing my National Guard duty. And um, I through three games in eight ball, and I was really throwing the ball real well. Uh, I think I had maybe 12 or 13 strikeouts and I think six innings down there. Wow. You know, yeah, I was really throwing really good. And I threw one pitch and my elbow kind of acted up and we stopped and I ended up having chips and spurs. So I didn't pitch the most of the, the whole year. That year I kind of stopped. And then in 68, um, I came back. And um, was pitching, and I was, you know, I maybe 2.6 earned run average or something with with the Shreveport. And it, it came time for the, the the draft where you know you could protect 15 guys on your roster. The Braves could, and they decided not to pick me because they just figured that somebody coming off an arm operation nobody would take. Okay, a chance on, and they left me off, and they said they were going to put me back on after one person was draft taken from their team, and then you could put three guys back on right. if you had one guy taken. So I was the first taken by the Padres. Yeah, that's that's what I read. I mean, they they definitely the the Padres uh, saw something in you, you know. To uh, well, you know, Roger Craig was a manager at. Um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I, you know, he saw me pitch years before too, and um, you know, I do pretty well against that Dodger farm team, and uh, you know, maybe Roger, maybe a guy by the name of uh, Hamilton was another scout. He 
he he saw some good things too. Yeah. Now I was about to, you know, get back to uh, after a year, you know, throwing some innings. Yeah. And I was okay. I, I I I don't think I ever really threw as well sometimes as the first year. Um, you know, I had my moments. I thought, but uh, you know, I just thought that I. You know, something in the arm was not quite right. Um, you know, but I still threw the ball good, hard, and you know, it wasn't like it was going to cause a real problem. But I thought maybe I could have been throw the ball a little bit better you know, if I, without the op- arm operation. <laughs> it's you know, so you have your days. Some right. days your arm like it's a. Not even attached to your body. It's just like has a life of its own, has a heartbeat of its own, and you know it didn't. It doesn't weigh anything. When you start to throw, it's like light as a feather. You know, it's there's nothing to it, and you're using your core real well, and you know it, it's just working out easy to throw the ball hard. It doesn't feel like this. You don't even feel like you're using it, and um, you had great fingertips on your fingertips. You had great feel of when. How to hold the ball, how much pressure on the ball, where to grip the ball, when to release it, when to snap it. You know, you had really good feel, you know, out, you know, out there, uh, very touchy on your fingertips. And, uh, you know, you go from there, but uh, sometimes you just, you know, you didn't quite have that sometimes. well, you know, well, you also um, you pitched during a pretty tough era for. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of great hitters during the time that you were pitching in the major leagues. Uh, you want to name a couple of uh, the great hitters that you faced and and tell me a little bit about that? Or I know you had mentioned Clemente, and Clemente's actually my my childhood hero. Um, well, yeah, Clemente was great, man. You know. Clemente wasn't a big guy. I mean, he only weighed about 175 pounds. Right. You know, and, you know, it's kind of strange to talk about Clemente. The pirate uh, uh, locker room and the Padre locker room at that time at Old Forge Field was uh, right next to each other. And I, you know, I remember as a young kid that, you know, Clemente came out in a, uh, with no shirt on and uh, a towel wrapped around him. And, you know, you kind of look at him. And you said, geez, you know, he was 36, 37 years old at the time. But, you know, it was a, it was really marvelous to say, hey, Clemente looked like he was an 18-year-old kid with that body. You know, the head was older, but the body was, you know, tremendous, you know, looking like really in great shape. But, you know, you had Clemente, you had Stardraw on that team. You had Manny Sanguien, you had, right. you know... Some good teams, Al Oliver uh, on that team. But in the Giants, the first game I ever won was against the Giants um, in, uh, in actually out in uh, Candlestick Park. You know, and, you know, they had a pretty good team with, you know, they got guys like Bobby Bonds and Willie Mays and, you know, uh, Willie McCovey, you know, out there. And, you know, very good teams, uh, you know, that were that you had to pitch against. And, you know, the, you know, the Braves, the Braves, they had Aaron and Rico Cardi and Mac Jones and Joe Torrey, you know, good teams. The, you know, the Cardinals, you know, had, you know, had Lou Brock, uh, you know, the guys I played with you know, at the end, Brock and Simmons and Torrey, you know, 
that we had to play against. And a lot of good teams. The, the Cubbies were great with Ron Santo, uh, Ernie Banks we, we played against. And, uh, you know, all, all good ball players that were just phenomenal that, that you just, just getting to know them and meet them and, you know, talk to them at times was a great thing. And, you know, I, I knew all the ex-Dodgers from Ebbets Field. I met Campanella, and Snyder was our announcer with the Padres. And uh, who else we had? Campanella, Junior Gillian, Pee Wee Reese, you know, Don Newcomb, you know, met Drysdale, Koufax, and all those type of guys. Wow. You know, that we played against. And the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, they had like a, a world... They had like a Hall of Fame team with Johnny Benson, Pete Rose, and Tony Perez in um, the second baseman, not Jackson. Uh, oh, uh, the second baseman. For, oh, Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. Yeah, Joe Morgan. Uh, you know, Cesar Geronimo out there. I mean, they had, they had you know, George Foster. Right. They had some guy really swing the bat and thump the ball pretty good. Uh, all, all good ball players. Man, yeah. that, you know, that, you know, it was thrilling to even, you know, play against them. And, uh, you know, the Mets, you know, the Mets had Cleon Jones and Tommy A.G. And, you know, guys like that. Um, they were all good ball players, you know, playing. And, um, you know, you can't take anybody. You know, I, you know, I never, I, I was never intimidated by him at all. Right. You know, they had Billy Williams from the Cubs, too, who I thought, was a tremendous hitter, and at times I thought uh, between Billy Williams, uh, you know, that he never looked fooled when I threw him a pitch. He always looked balanced. He, you know, I almost, you know, I wanted to ask him if he knew what was coming in before I did. You know? <laughs> and he just looked that prepared to hit the ball. You know, his swing, mechanic-wise, and you kind of wonder where the heck do I even throw him at some time. Joe Pepitone played for them at one time, too, you know. You know, all these guys, a lot of people probably don't even know who the heck they are. But yeah. they believe me, they're very, very good ball players yeah. who could hit the ball to all fields, and a lot of them could hit with power, you know. So they could manipulate the bat pretty good uh, up at the plate. Uh, I'd, I'd rather pitch to a, a home run hitter than a dinky hitter that could spray the ball all over the place. Uh, the big hitter had bit more holes in their swing that you could attack. Uh, low and away, and a lot of the big hitters hitting home runs, you could pitch them down and in because, um, you know, they had a hard time hitting that pitch because they were looking for something up in, in a row. Right. Well, I, I totally agree with that. I went to um, Pirate Stream Week back in the early 90s and, uh, you know, talked with a, a lot of the pitchers that were down there and, of course, asked them, you know, who was tough and, to, and you know, what type of hitter did you like to pitch against and who didn't you like and and they all said the same same as you i know like kent de told me like you know he loved to pitch against dave kingman because and dave kingman had a lot of you know he had a big you know big holes with uh you know with that swing of his but yeah they all they all the pitchers uh, uh nelly bryles i remember talking to nelly did you ever get when you were in st louis was oh no he would have been with pittsburgh then right nelly bryles I pitched against Nelly. You pitched against him, right? But um, mm -hmm. yeah, he he said the same thing. He, you know, he didn't mind pitching against like you know the Dave Kingmans or the Greg Luzinskis or you know 
you know, the big power hitters and stuff, but it was like Pete Rose and, and a lot of them said the same thing that you were saying about Billy Williams. It seemed like he must have gave everybody fits, you know. I didn't make the Hall of Fame for no good reason. Yeah, yeah. With that sweet left-handed swing, right? I mean, it was, you know, yeah. quite remarkable. Yeah. Lee May was another guy like that. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, you pitch, you pitch him, you make a bad pitch, and you hit a line drive. You make a good pitch, and he breaks his bat and bloop it someplace. That right. kind of tried to create, you know, doing stuff like that. Um, I thought Ron Stanto was a great ball player, too. Right, right. And, and a great a great human being, also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was actually thinking last night about announcers and, uh, you know, the announcers nowadays are kind of well, a lot of it's cookie cutter, but you know we had Jack Brickhouse, we had um, uh, Harry Carey, right. uh, we had uh, Buck out there, uh, we had um, oh the guy from the uh, the Pirates, oh Bob Prince, Bob Prince, you know, and uh, you know guys like that, Milo Hamilton, you know yeah. Vince Scully, uh, you know really some legendary uh, announcers that were absolutely fantastic you know I, I don't I don't see many people you know kind of competing you know against those guys right yeah it's like it's kind of it's it's also like a lost art form I mean uh, I mean like announcers well especially like radio announcers in baseball i mean they had to paint a picture and these guys like you said vin vin scully and uh you know harry carey and <clears throat> you know people like that they could actually uh you know make you feel like you were at the game you know the the fan felt like he was right there on the field with you know the guys pitching and hitting do you know who do you know who eddie lucas is um, no, I'm not sure. It might. Who was Eddie, Eddie Lucas? Eddie Lucas, he had a book, and Eddie Lucas got hit in the head with a, with a baseball between his eyes, and he went blind at age 11 or so. And Phil Rizzuto kind of took him under his wing at that time and really did a lot of good things for Eddie Lucas. And Eddie Lucas was able to uh, live, I think he lived in Jersey City, but he graduated from Seton Hall University, and basically when people tell me that I can't do this and I can't do that, I said, you know, Eddie Lucas was blind, okay, and he had to take three buses to get to Seton Hall, and one of the buses had to go to New York City to go over back over to, back over to South Orange, and he graduated from Seton Hall. But Eddie was a sports writer, okay, and he did, I guess, uh, radio work and all that kind of stuff, and he was also uh, the one in charge of the Phil Rizzuto golf tournament, and we gave we gave all that money, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, probably. We gave all that money to the Jersey City School for the Blind, okay, uh, up up in Baldwin Avenue in Jersey City, and um, and then it became after Phil passed away, it became the Gene Michaels tournament, and then after Phil uh, Michaels passed away, it is now the David Cohn Golf Tournament. And it's held up in uh, Brook Lake Country Club on July 18th this year. And, um, I think there's probably still places, spots open for more golfers if anybody was ever interested. But every 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 foursome plays with an ex-major league baseball player, 
and um, when we raised quite a bit of money. Oh, I always bet. a good, yeah. I bet. So, um, I, yeah. I I know that um, we had talked before uh, about it, but um, you know the pitching staff with the Padres, like you know, you had Clay Kirby and and uh, uh, Necro. Um, you also had Johnny Padres, who was like him and Bolsham, I guess, were the older older guys on that staff. Uh, did any of did any of the older guys give you any tips or, you know, any advice? Yeah. I don't. You know, it's a funny thing when you ask that question. Um, you know, Johnny Padres would, could show you how to throw the, his changeup, which was very good. Right. But um, as far as uh, we didn't get many tips. The guys didn't talk that much about what they're throwing, how they're throwing it, and stuff like that. And, you know, and... You know, my stuff was always very good with curveballs, and I could throw sliders, and you know, I, I didn't throw as many changeups as I should have to, right. uh, uh, out there. And I, I beat the Mets one time, and I didn't feel good. I struck out twelve guys, and I threw like sixteen changeups that day. And you know, I think I should have thrown more changeups yeah. after pitching that. But uh, you know, even Roger Craig was the you know, the, the pitching coach out in San Diego. And, you know, for all the hullabaloo that he that he had in later later years about doing this and a pitching guru, guys, you know, he never really said much of anything when he was the pitching coach out in San Diego. Uh, you know, good guy, funny guy, kept the guys loose and had a good personality and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, like a lot of guys way back when, they were the coaches on, you know, Wally, Wally, uh, Wally Moon was a coach. Sparky Anderson was a coach out there. You know, in, in that era, I, they didn't know as much as they know now about how to hit a baseball, how to throw a baseball, you know, what you're looking for, uh, releases and bending and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it just wasn't. They were there because the management liked them. Uh, Roger was there because he had a house in San Diego, you know, uh, you know, Duke Snyder had a house near uh, uh, Fallbrook, California, 80 miles north. He was the announcer. You know, all, you know, good guys. But, you know, nowadays there's so much information out yeah. there that if, any, you know, if people don't take advantage of what's on the Internet and take advantage of how to do things, uh, it's all there for you. Right. But. Well, you know, those, I was just thinking as you were, you were talking about them that they, they probably weren't, you know, like able to communicate. I mean, communications might have been a, a problem too. I mean, you know, they could do something, but to be able to communicate it, do you think that might have played an effect or? We're not, you know, we're not picking on people. What we're, what we're picking on is that you know, the communication with, that would be one thing. And there's a lot of people, even today, in, in ballplayers, they can talk about or they could show you physically on where my hands need to be when I'm, when I'm starting to swing the bat, or how I want to hit the ball out in front, or how I want to keep my shoulder down a little bit longer, or when does my foot come down compared to where my shoulder, you know, they could show you exactly where they need to be, okay, but to find the words right. to explain that is a, is a whole different um, thing 
for for people. And when I started teaching, you know, baseball and hitting, and you have to break it down in words, you know, you better come up with something to, you know, you just can't show people, you know, you got to explain it to them as why we're doing it and how to do it the proper way. And, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you can't have A, B, F go into that, but you've got to follow the kinetic chain real good. And how do you get that kinetic chain? Where does your elbow go? When does your elbow pull down? When, how about getting your bat flat in the zone, hitting the ball out in front real good, releasing your hands, you know? All these kinds of things, how much weight goes on to the front side. You know, all that kind of stuff. Even with pitching, you got to break it down that way. And, you know, at times I get kids out there that I'm teaching, and I get a 12-year-old kid, and I got a 10-year-old kid that comes in, and I said, hey, why don't you, you know, or thir- even a 13-year-old kid, why don't you stay around for a while? I want you to give this lesson to this 10-year-old. Right. Okay? So now I'm going to make him think of what you have to do in terms of words. And it reinforces it, you know, there's a reinforcement there for them, you know, to be able to explain it. I think you're good enough to explain this. You may have never thought about it, but you know something? You can explain it, and it and actually it makes you a better hitter when you can explain when do I load up, when do I step into the ball, you know, wh- you know what position do I want to get my hands in in order to swing the bat, you know, and they have to tell the kids that, you yeah. know, and it, it, it actually makes you better on how you have to make adjustments. Uh, this game is about adjustments all the time. How you make adjustments out there when you have to pitch a baseball or what the batter's hitting. What kind of stuff do I have? You know, I pitched him the first inning. I pitched him this way. I can't keep on pitching him the same way because after a while, you're going to catch on and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to hit the ball off you. So, you know, pitch selection, right. where the balls go. You know, all that kind of stuff, how you have to think. And, you know, even a batter, he has to watch from the dugout what the pitcher's doing. Is he starting everybody off with a fastball? Is he is his out pitch a curveball? You know, what are you going to do? You know, is he throwing a strike on 0-2 or is he going to waste one? You know, you know, stuff like that. And you you got to be smarter, in, you know, in, out there. And you have to think think very well. Right. You know, and you can't make adjustments just for saying I'm making an adjustment. There's got to be a reason behind making an adjustment, not just oh I'll try this. Well, big deal. Why? You know, and a lot of the kids need to go out there when somebody tells them to do something. You've got to have the question of why. Why am I doing that? And right. the guy, the guy giving that answer can explain why I'm doing it. Okay, then you got a chance. But if he just goes and say, because I said so, okay, that's not an answer. So it's important that you explain why you are going to do this. Right. I get a little long-winded. No, no, but you know what? You're, you, I mean, it's funny. I could close, you know, listening to you and explaining that, I could close my eyes and I could visualize, you know, what you, you, know, what you mean and what you're describing. Like I said, you were painting a painting a picture of that. Um, you know, Mike Mike Trout got up at got up at the plate, and a sale from Boston is beating everybody up, striking everybody up, and you know, and uh, Trout gets up and takes the pitch 
uh, an outside pitch and hits it to right center field for a home run, and everybody asked him, how the heck did you do that? Yeah. He's beating up on everybody. He goes, that was done from the dugout to the on right. circle. Absolutely. That was a back then, okay? So you can actually see previews. I call them previews of coming attractions yeah. that I can see myself swinging the bat or throwing the ball, how it's released. I can feel it releasing out of my hand. I can see how it's traveling. I can almost feel when 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 it could when I'm going to snap it off, and you know, at the right time. And you know, I can picture everything before it even happens yeah. at times. Yeah. And I can you know, and I I do the same thing with a golf club. You know, I can picture the ball traveling, landing on the green before it even. You know, I have a plan, and I'm working that plan. If I you know, failure to plan is planning to fail. Right. So that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Al, I'm going to uh, kind of wrap it up, but I have a couple questions I want to make sure I, I asked you about. I wanted to get your opinion on pitch count because, you know, when I was coaching uh, young kids, you know, they they introduced, uh, you know, pitch count. What, how do you – what do you feel about pitch count? Is there a, a, a good number uh, – that, you know, certain ages should throw or, you know, how, do you have any opinions about pitch count? I'm kind of a, a believer that for every pitch that you throw in a game, maybe you need to rest for kids. Right. One hour for every pitch you throw. So if you threw 96 pitches, well, you know, maybe you, you, you need to rest four days. Right. Okay. A, a four days of rest before you pitch in another game. So, you know, but as far as pitch count in the in the big leagues, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that, you know, I knew I pitched a game against the Mets and I gave up two runs in the first inning. I'm 20 years old pitching in Shea Stadium. I give up two runs and every inning I'm in trouble. And finally the ninth inning, um, you know, I get, I think I went one, two, three in the ninth inning. And I'll bet you that I probably threw 140 pitches. Wow. Wow. In that game, okay. you think so? You think it's crazy with this hundred hundred pitch count, where uh, you know, you know how it is. Like even if somebody has a no hitter or or even a perfect game, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Don't you know? Don't forget that these guys are making. If you're making ten million dollars and you're getting thirty starts, okay. Right. And what's it, what, what does that mean? It's it, it's see ten. I forget how, how much it, I mean, you might be making $500,000 for each start, whatever it may, may, may be, a right. picture on your map. And when you miss three starts or five starts, all of a sudden the, the, the team is out two and a half million dollars. Yeah. You know? So they're trying to keep people healthy by doing this and keeping their good guys healthy. You know, years back, they didn't care about the pitchers. Okay. You went out there and threw. And, you know, you, when you started the game, you know, we wanted to finish the game. Right. And now they, they, they let them off the hook after five innings because, you know, they're worried about somebody, you know, catching up to the guy and all that kind of stuff. And back when, when you pitch, I'm gonna, you're going to bring somebody in to throw the ball, and I'm still throwing the ball better than he can throw the ball, and you're going to bring him in? Yeah. Does that make You know, so... It, it, they they worry about things like that. They got I, I think Koufax may have completed thirty games one year. You know Langford from Oakland. You know twenty seven. Bobby Chance 
you know, little Bobby, yeah. I think, completed 29 when he was with Philadelphia, and he was the uh, American League uh, most valuable player that year. You know, and if you knew Bobby Shantz, he was like five feet six, you know. I actually, I actually met Bobby Shantz, and I was like uh, surprised that he was smaller. I'm, I'm like five nine, and when I met him, like you said, he was like five six, and it was like, wow, this guy played in the major leagues. I mean, you, you think nowadays? I mean, uh, well, how how tall are you, Al? You're you're six something, right? I'm I'm about six foot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, you see guys that are like six five, six six. It's like. You know, to see little Bobby Chance at five six is uh, is definitely a difference. No, as well as well as I threw the ball, I probably uh, have a hard time getting drafted in the first round now because of size. Yeah, you know? and you know, and they you know they turn their nose up on you know how about a Tug McGraw, you know Bobby Shantz, you know little guys, right? Uh, Mike Marshall, not a big guy, you know. He pitched in like a hundred games one year. Or so. Oh yeah. But you know, you know, and, you know. But they threw the ball, and I think that you know, maximum effort throwing the ball, you know, nowadays, and you know, and I think mechanics uh, are are kind of bad with a lot of pitchers because you get an outfielder that can't hit. Uh, what are we going to do? But he can throw, so we're going to make him a pitcher. Right. Okay? And he pitches one inning. Well, yeah. what we do? Yeah. What we. Not that difficult. It really yeah. isn't. Especially, yeah. you know, I thought that was easy because when you have starters stuck pitching in relief. You know, I can throw fastballs, turn the fastball over, throw cutters at you, okay, throw sliders, change-ups, and all that kind of stuff. When you have all that stuff pitching in relief, okay, it's a problem. But if you're a, a one-pitch fastball pitcher that doesn't move, um, you know, guys don't care. Yeah. You know. Just get it over the plate. That's yeah. what they care about. Yeah. And, and the last question I wanted to ask you is, um, I mean, I was going to ask you if, uh, if you still watch baseball, what you, you know, talking to you, I know you, you know, you do, but what, what team do you root for nowadays? Well, there's only one team to root for. That's the Yankees. Okay. All right. That, that, I kind of figured that and I figured you, you being like I'm from Jersey, you're from Jersey, uh, there would be a good chance that, uh, you know, would be a Yankee fan. On this past Monday, I was, um, on a sixth, I'm sorry, June seventh, sixth or seventh, I played in the Yogi Baragop. Right. I've been playing in that for 25 years. Uh, I've been playing in it when Hank Bauer was there, Tommy Tresh, Moose Scourin, uh, Bobby Richardson, uh, Bob Turley, and, you know, all these guys would show up, the ex-Yankees. And now, you know, since Yogi passed away, we have Ron Guidry and uh, Willie Randolph, who are now the co-chairmans, oh. and the Borough Prep all come. And we get uh, David Cohn normally comes. Uh, we get a... a this year, I'll, I have to send you a picture. I got a picture of me and Joe Torrey and, um, together, because I always get a picture with Joe. Yeah. Because I rode, I rode to the ballpark with Joe when he hit 363 that one year. Uh, I was with him for three years straight, um, with the Cardinals. Every day, it was Joe and I riding to the ballpark, riding home from the ballpark, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I became good friends with Joe, and I always get a picture. And, you know, I have a picture of, uh, Tom Producci with me too uh, that you know I always thought he was a great sports writer oh yeah I admire, admire his work 
And uh, I wondered how he came about, how he knew all this stuff about baseball. And it says his father was a coach, his brother's coach, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he was all around it, playing co with coaches. And, you know, he knows the right questions. And he, he knows how to swing a bat the right way and all that kind of stuff. The, just to let you know real quick about swinging a bat. I see guys give lessons, and they don't even have the bat in the hand the right way. Okay, so you could never get through the ball and create a nice V with your arms straight out to the pitcher with a V when you're two arms. You can't do that if your hands aren't on the bat the correct way. So you have to swing the bat with one hand up, one hand down. The left hand down, the, the right hand up, and that's how you get through the ball and keep the bat on the path of the ball sooner and keep it on the bat on the ball later all the way through so you have probably maybe a three or four foot hitting zone to hit the ball right uh, in and out of the zone because it's very difficult to do that yeah. so, i forgot to mention that but. oh no no that's great i'm glad that you uh you brought that you wanted um be before we leave you want to talk about i know that you're um you do one-on-one -on -one, uh uh, training with kids? Is that what yeah, you're... I do when lessons with kids or even two brothers or sisters or anybody. You know, I do yeah. girls softball, do boys baseball hitting and pitching. I don't do girls softball pitching because I don't want to be like other people that know nothing about it but are going to charge for it. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I, you know, I, I believe in thoroughly knowing your craft before you go out there and uh, give wrong information at times. So, uh, yeah, I do it. Um, you know, I, I'm up at the uh, the hot corner, you know, uh, up in English Town. Okay. Times, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, there's a place in Tom's River where I, um, I'm probably going to work out, out of, uh, I believe it's the Adrenaline, I believe it is, um, the place that's in Tom's River. And, you know, in I do the kids, and, you know, I, I don't do a lot. I do enough just to have some fun yeah. with the kids and, you know, and maybe give a couple of life tips to them, too. And I, I give them papers out about attitude. I give them a prayer, praying to God. That's all kind of based around baseball. Right. Uh, you know, I pray to God that I can accept a, an, an umpire's bad call. Or, <laughs> You know, things like that. Attitude is by Charles Swindoll. Uh, and he's a great kind of philosopher type of guy that talks about attitude where it's 85% uh, uh, on or 15% what happens to me. But it's 85% of my attitude towards it right. is what really counts. You know, stuff like that. And um, I give a, a, a little thing about, uh, you know, writing things down that a... Uh, a short pencil is better than a long memory. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is meant to indicate how children's qualities and talents are similar to their parents. So to honor my dad and his influence on me concerning baseball, I named this podcast, The Baseball Doesn't Fall Far From The Tree, in his honor. If you have any questions about today's program, you can contact us via email at rvhurte at gmail.com. And if you're interested in our new book, Intelligent Influence in Baseball, you can also send us an email and we will let you know how you can order it. 
In the immortal words of the famous baseball journalist, Red Smith, baseball is a dull game only for those with dull minds.